Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a few in the chairs that are in front of you. You can turn there in your phone or whatever copy of God's Word you have as well. Uh, it should all be the same. Uh, we are continuing our, our series that we began several weeks ago, looking at the topic of worship. Uh, and those of you who may be new uh, and here with us for the first time, or at least not at the beginning of this series, uh, we've seen over the past several weeks what worship is, that it's a meeting between God's uh, people, uh, that's us, and, and God as our covenant uh, keeper and uh, who reestablishes the covenant relationship that he has with us in worship. We've, we've seen how our worship service follows a particular structure each week as we begin to be invited into his presence and recite the, the, um, the regular pattern of praise and confession and assurance. How after that, God comes to us with his word and teaches us and shapes us and forms us. And then today, we're going to look at the last sort of major section of our worship service, and that is that focuses on the Lord's Supper. Uh, it might seem a little weird to us today, uh, but the topic of the Lord's Supper or communion or the Eucharist or whatever uh, it's been called in the past has been one of the most controversial topics throughout all of church history. And churches over the past 2,000 years have practiced uh, this uh, celebration in a number of different ways, according to a number of different biblical convictions. And this morning, we're not going to be able to answer all those questions, clearly. We've got just a few minutes together. But my goal for us as a church is that we would have uh, the most basic and most important aspects of what this meal means for us as a church in our minds as we come and celebrate it every week here at UCB. We celebrate it every week here, and so it's important for us to understand what it is. How, what does God mean to teach us through it, and how does he want us to respond to it? And so our passage this morning comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the Apostle Paul is dealing with uh, some problems that arise about the Lord's Supper in the early church. And so we'll begin reading at verse 17. This is God's word. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand this passage written so many years ago, but yet valid and relevant for us even today. Apply it to our hearts and our lives so that we might rejoice in this great gift that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. A man named Brian Chapel, who's a pastor in, the, in my denomination back in the States, tells a story about one of the early churches that he served as a pastor. It was the church's tradition that the elders' wives would bake the communion bread every week. And uh, the recipe that they'd used since the very beginning of the church, the sacred recipe, right, uh, had a lot of sugar in the bread. And so the bread was like this sweet bread, which was lovely, right? Until after the service, all of the kids who didn't take communion during the service because they hadn't made a profession of faith yet, all the kids would run to the front of the sanctuary and fight each other to get a hold of the last bits of the communion bread that had been left over by the congregation. Well, some in the church said, maybe this isn't the best thing. We've just had communion. It's a solemn occasion. And then, and then all these kids uh, run up and they fight each other and are wrestling over the rest of the bread. Uh, others said, you know what? We shouldn't worry about that because this is a great way to teach our kids about the sweetness of Jesus. Right? Eventually, someone said, you know what uh, we need to do? We need to tell the elders' wives that they need to change the recipe for the bread and put less sugar in it so that it's less tempting for all the kids. Well, being a wise pastor, he said, you know what, I don't think it's wise to command the elders' wives to do anything regarding the bread that they've cooked for time immemorial. And so they just said, you know what, we'll hide the bread right after the service so that the kids can't find it. Uh, and so they had to run throughout the sanctuary to go find the bread that they were looking for to devour. Well, I start the, the sermon with that story this morning because it illustrates a point that of uh, one of the things that Christians have wrestled with over the last 2,000 years when it comes to communion. All Christians can agree that the celebration of communion ought to be a regular part of the church's life in some way, but still disagreements remain uh, in every corner. How often should we celebrate it? Should we come forward or should we pass it out? Should we drink wine or should we drink grape juice? Should we take it all together or should we uh, take it each uh, personally? Uh, and each of those issues can be important when it comes to uh, the celebrating the Lord's Supper. What's most important, however is that we understand that this is a celebration of communion that communicates the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel. And it's important for us to under, both understand that and to understand how you and I should approach it every week when we celebrate it. And just like we've seen with the other aspects of our service, the Lord's Supper is not, first and foremost, an, an opportunity for you to declare how faithful you are to God. 
Rather, it is an opportunity that God uses as a way to communicate his faithfulness to you and to his promises to you and for you to respond and say, I believe those promises. And so if that's the case, if this is a gift to us from the Lord, how should we respond each week? What should be going on in our hearts and in our minds as we come to take communion each week? Well, I want to give you three things, three reasons, three things that should be in our hearts and our minds when we take the Lord's Supper each week as part of our worship service. First of all, because the Lord's Supper is God's gift to you, you must, we need to approach it with reverence. We need to approach it with reverence. Uh, in our passage this morning, you probably picked up on this, but the Apostle Paul is upset, right? You guys have had people upset with you. You know what it sounds like. Paul's upset. Uh, there's a lot of things that are going wrong in the Corinthian church, but in verse 17, he says, I can't commend you for the things that you're doing. You're getting together as a church, but there's something going on. Why is he so upset about what they're doing? Well, the main reason he's upset is because when they come together as a church to, uh, uh, to take the Lord's Supper, they're approaching it casually and irreverently, right? Look at verse 21. He says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Okay, imagine that. In the first, in the first century, the communion was likely a bigger meal. And it was part, there was like a ceremonial aspect of something that had a lot more food and clearly a lot more wine. It would be tough to get drunk on the amount of wine that we serve you, right? So Paul is saying here, you're coming together and you're not, you're not uh, paying attention to the importance in the, in the, uh, of this meal. You're just using it as another opportunity to eat good food and drink good wine. And too much of it, right? And then in verse 22, he says, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Right? If you're hungry, go home and eat food. Go to lunch afterwards. But don't come to the Lord's Supper and, and believing that it's just another meal to satisfy your physical hunger or to satisfy your, your desire for wine. And friends, many Protestant Christians today see the Lord's Supper as something that really isn't all that important. Preaching and discipleship and evangelism and prayer, that's where the real spiritual life happens. And ah, the Lord's Supper, we can kind of take it or leave it. It's not really all that important. Others fear that maybe emphasizing the Lord's Supper or talking about the Lord's Supper too much might make you a Roman Catholic. And you're like, well, I don't want to be a Roman Catholic. And so I want, to, I, don't, I want to be careful about that. But the Lord's Supper has always been a central aspect of the church's life. They're already here in the year 50, as Paul's writing this letter, celebrating the Lord's Supper as a regular part of the church's life. Jesus commands us, do this in remembrance of me. In Acts chapter 2, we read that the church devoted themselves to the, to, uh, the uh, reading of the scriptures and uh, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, an early reference to communion. And here we see Paul devote a whole section of his letter to dealing with abuses about the Lord's Supper. And so, remember, Paul's not writing an email that can just go on forever. He's writing a letter on papyrus, and so every minute, every word that he writes is valuable. And so, this is important to Paul to deal with this, and, and it should be important to us. And what it means is for us is that we ought to think carefully about the Lord's Supper. We can't just say, well, that's, that's not important, or those are, those are debates that, that someone else should have, and I'm not really all that important, that I'm not really all that concerned. We shouldn't just do it on autopilot every week. It shouldn't be just be something that's just, well, that, that's just something that we do. No, we should approach it reverently. We should approach it carefully. We should approach it conscientiously. 
So that's the first, re- first thing that should be going on in our hearts. But the second I want you to see is that because the supper is God's gift to us, we must approach it with faith. We need to approach it with faith. The benefits of God's promises to us in the Lord's Supper aren't automatic. They're not magical as if, you know, sort of uh, this, this bread turns into something magic, dust or whatever, that, that if you eat it, you get God's blessing. No, the benefits that God promises through the Lord's Supper must be mixed with faith. That is trust in Jesus Christ and trust in the one to whom all of these elements point. And because if we don't do that, if we don't mix it together with faith, it can actually be detrimental to our spiritual health. Why? Because we are doing something with our actions that may or may not be true in our hearts. And it divorces what we believe from what we do, which is not a good place to be. Where do we see that here? Well, look at verse 23. Paul begins to, uh, makes clear first and foremost that the instructions that he has passed along to the church, he received from the Lord. Or in other words, this isn't something that he made up on his own, but that Jesus told him to do. And then he reminds them of Jesus' words when he instituted the Lord's Supper on the night when he was crucified. And then in verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You Proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Then in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying by eating and drinking, you are proclaiming something. You are proclaiming something. And if you can't proclaim the same things with your heart and with your mind and with your trust that you're proclaiming with your actions as you take the bread and drink the wine, then you ought not to do it, he says. Then in verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In other words, before you come to the Lord's Supper, he says, ask yourself this, do I believe in the, in the realities to which these signs do I believe these things? Friends, these verses are why Andrew and I, whenever we uh, officiate at the Lord's Supper, why we say the things that we do, why we give you the instructions that we do every week. We remind you that in order to take the Lord's Supper, first you need to be baptized. Baptism is a sign of entry into the covenant community, the communion of uh, the community of faith. And so uh, if, if you haven't received the sign of entry, it isn't appropriate then to take the sign of continuance in the covenant, which is, which is this. Baptism, you get once on, uh, as you enter the community, the com- uh, communion we do every week as a regular part of our life together. But it's not just baptism. It's faith in Jesus Christ that we say is central to this. And not just sort of a private acknowledgement of faith to say, well, yeah, I think I believe that. But something that you confess publicly before the community. Every so often we have new members join and they take vows and they say, yes, I believe these things. And this isn't something that I'm going to keep quiet, but it's something that I'm willing to stand up in front of all of you people and say, yes, I believe these things and I'll live in accordance with them. And so let me apply this briefly just to a couple of different groups of people. If you're a young person who's grown up in the, in the church, before you come to the Lord's Supper, uh, be baptized if you weren't baptized as an infant, if that was part of your tr- tradition. A- and you should come talk to one of the pastors or the elders and say, I want to make a profession of faith in Jesus. We had a young man do this just a couple of weeks ago. He came and, and said, I, I want to talk to one of the pastors because I want to take the Lord's Supper because I believe in Jesus. 
And so uh, that's something I want to encourage you to do. Parents, uh, if you haven't, uh, if, if your kids haven't done that, encourage them to do that. It's important for them to not just privately say that in their own hearts. It's important to, to come talk to someone because uh, it confirms to them that their faith is not just something in their minds, not just something that their parents uh, have, have, have uh, sort of impressed upon them, but something that other people see and say, yes, we see that you have faith in Jesus. Come. And take the meal that is offered to you. And if you're new to the Christian faith and you're thinking, my goodness, you know, I come to church and they're talking about this weird practice that uh, they have. Uh, So weird, in fact, that one of the uh, early church, uh, one of the early observers of the church said, uh, he was writing a letter to to somebody, one of his bosses, and he said, you know what, these Christians are weird. They get together and they, they sing hymns to somebody called Christ and then they eat him. And uh, they say, these guys are crazy. So that may be what you're thinking. But here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear God's gracious invitation to come and believe and to come sit at his table. Paul is mainly negative here in this passage because he's dealing with a problem. But I don't want that to overshadow the main message because the Lord's Supper, like any other feast of food, is designed to woo you to the Father whose table it is, to woo you to come taste and see that the Lord is good. That he has the food that your soul needs to survive and to live. And that if you're tired of eating bread that doesn't satisfy, sucking down things, looking for life in them, and finding that they quickly run out, God says, come and eat at my table and eat the bread of life that you heard Jesus say it himself. If you, if you eat from me, you'll never be hungry ever again. Friends, the Lord's Supper is a weekly call to all of us to believe the promises of God. To believe and to cast ourselves upon Jesus and to say, I trust you. All the food out there that promises to satisfy can't, but you can so the second reason is that we ought to, we ought, because it's God's gift to us, we should approach it with faith. But there's one more thing that I want you to see. And that is because the supper is God's gift to us, we should approach it with joy and rest. With joy and rest. Those of you who are here for the women's retreat have been hearing a lot about rest this weekend, and I trust that's been a blessing for your own soul as you've learned what it means to rest, not just physically, but also spiritually, and rest in the promises of God, to rest in Christ. We live in a restless world, don't we? We live in a world where many of us spend our lives working, trying to belong somewhere. Trying to be accepted in some group of people. Someone, some group that said, here's what it means to belong and here's what you got to do in order to fit in. And some of us reach that place and we feel some measure of rest. But we all know that that type of rest that depends upon our ability to keep working and to keep up the appearances is a rest that can quickly go away. It's a welcome that can quickly be revoked the minute that we fail to have the credentials that we feel like we need to have in order to continue to belong. And so we always feel like we're on the hamster wheel trying to say, do I really belong here? Are they really going to accept me? Are they really going to let me stay? Or can I lose it? And friends, the Lord's Supper is a sign not only of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us, it also gives us a taste 
of the meal in heaven that God, to which God has invited us. A place at the table that Christ has secured for you through his perfect work in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. It's a meal that we will be able to partake of eternally. Paul says uh, that when we, take the, when we eat and drink in faith, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why does he add those words, until he comes? Because one day this supper is going to be unnecessary. It's going to be unnecessary because we're going to be sitting at the table to which this small taste points. And God is going to pull up a chair for you and to say, here, welcome, sit down, my child, and let me serve you the bread of life that will never fade away. John, when he sees heaven, God shows him a feast. And he says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a feast of great joy, a feast of great rest for all of God's people. One of my favorite little short stories uh, is a story called Babette's Feast. Some of you may have read it. It's published back in the 1950s in Danish, and it tells the story of a woman named Babette who uh, is French, and she was the the uh, head chef at the most expensive, most exclusive restaurant in Paris. But she was exiled from France and finds herself in Denmark, uh, in the, in the, living in the midst of a very serious, very strict religious community. And she serves as the chef, uh, the cook, more, more uh, accurately, of these two sisters who never smile and who never eat anything nice. They eat like dried fish and things like that. They think, well, that's about as fancy as it gets in their community. And so Babette, you know, dutifully serves them food from time to time uh, and uh, tries to upgrade their cuisine a little bit, but not too much because he doesn't want to upset the strict religious guidelines, right? Well, one day Babette finds, gets news that she has won the lottery in, in Paris, and so uh, she gets that word, and, and she, says, she tells her bosses, her two sisters, she says, guess what, I won the lottery, and I'm going to throw you a feast. And so she gets her winnings, and she buys a bunch of fancy food, buys quail, and buys a big turtle, and the sisters are horrified, like, you're going to cook that turtle for us? And she says, oh yeah, get ready. So she throws them this wild and lavish feast, the best that, that from her days back in the fancy restaurants in Paris. And as, this, as these strict people sit down to the meal, and they're barely cracking a smile, as they begin to eat, they begin to come to life. And as they begin to eat, they, the people who had been at odds with one another start to forgive one another. The people, the long lost romances that had been uh, gone cold many years ago begin to be rekindled as they begin to eat this lovely meal together. At the end of the story, the sisters assume that Babette's going to go back to France and live off the rest of her winnings. And Babette tells them, I don't have anything left. Spend it all on the meal. One of the sisters with tears in her eyes says, Babette, in paradise, you will be the great artist God meant you to be. Oh, how you will enchant the angels. Friends, God the Father has spent it all on this feast. 
He laid down the life of his own son to guarantee a place at this table for you, to guarantee a place at this table for me and for all those who will put their trust in the one to whom these signs point. And so friends, if you feel left out, if you feel unwelcome, if you feel like the rest that you enjoy is precarious because it all hangs on you, come to the table. Come to the table and rest. Come to the table and find the joy that God lays out for you in this feast. And know that it only points you to a greater feast yet to come. That all of us will enjoy, who put their faith in Jesus. And blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in the fact that you are our hosts. You lay out a meal for us. You lay out the, the goodness of Jesus on this table and you invite us to come and to sit at your table and to be fed by you. What great mystery that is. And so Lord, as we feel unwelcome, as we feel unworthy to sit at your table, remind us that yes, we are unworthy to sit at your table, but you have qualified us by the power of Christ to sit here. And Lord, may it be a blessing to our soul. May we, may we eat and drink and taste and see that you are good. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.